It's January 3rd, and I'm here to offer you the best New Year's resolution you will ever find. It's called Take Responsibility for Yourself. It's not popular, it's not going to sell books, and it's not going to feel good, but it's going to do great things for your life. Today, we discuss the push for perpetual victimhood that's ruining our lives. From the racist history of exercise to the woke mind virus that has infected healthcare, now more than ever, you need to take personal responsibility for you. This is your favorite night of the week, The Deep End. I'm Tim Hatch, live! Happy New Year, everybody. My name is Tim, and this is Tim Hatch Live, the YouTube channel, Tim Hatch Live. If you wouldn't mind doing me a favor and hitting that like button, hitting that subscribe button, and giving the beard some love, and also hitting that notification bell so you can get notified every time we go live on your smartphone device. My name is Tim. Like I said, it is season six, episode 16, where we discuss here on the deep end the news of the day from a Christian worldview. And like I said, every new year brings a new resolve to do things better, get better, improve our lives. Here's a great New Year's resolution that I think everybody should embrace, especially Christians. Take responsibility for you because nobody else can or will. And I do mean that nobody else can or will. I mean, people can offer you some advice. They can help you. They can correct you. They can, I don't know, do all kinds of things to uh, benefit you in some small ways. But ultimately, you are responsible for you. And that is a lost message in our day and age because we live in a culture of perpetual victimization. So I want to suggest that you take responsibility for yourself. You take ownership of you. Because today your culture is lying to you, is manipulating you. The narrative is against you, ladies and gentlemen. And everyone today wants to play the victim card. Remember when Time Magazine was a journalistic endeavor? Remember when they would say things like, oh, I don't know, this article, the seven surprising benefits of exercise. This was back in uh, 2016 before the great demise of America, when it elected Donald Trump to the presidency, you know, time used to do normal articles that everybody could agree with, like offering you seven benefits to exercise. It's good for your brain, makes you feel happier, age slower, look better. It's to 10 minutes alone is enough to help, help uh, maintain the benefits of exercise in your body. You can help you recover from a major illness and your fat cells will shrink. Like those things we could get on board with. We were all on board. Those were uniting articles. Well, well, no more, ladies and gentlemen, because misinformation is in session. Misinformation is in session. And you need to be corrected. You need to be constantly told that there is a historical racist root to everything that is a thing in our culture. And that brings me to Deep End News. Deep, 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 deep End News. The news you choose if you could choose news. Yeah, so America is obsessed with exercise, according to Time Magazine, because of racism. <laughs> this article, The White Supremacist Origins of Exercise and Six Other Surprising Facts About the History of U.S. Physical Fitness. Of course, it's only the U.S. that has a racist history to exercise. This is written by Olivia Waxman. We'll talk about her in a moment. She discusses a new book by a historian of exercise named uh, Natalia uh, Petrozella, and the title of the book is The Pains and Gains of America's Exercise Obsession. Now, <laughs> when I look at America, I do not see an exercise obsession. Well, actually, I do see one right now because it's January and for the next four weeks, the gym is going to be packed. And I've been exercising for 20 years and I've seen this, I've seen this uh, play before. For the next four weeks, the gyms will be packed and in February, we'll be back to normal. 
But anyway, the article in Time is quite literally an expose on how if you want to get in shape, it's actually because of the racist history of the United States, as with everything else. Everything is racist today. So she talks about the fact that historically people were overweight because they could afford to be that way. You know, you could afford to rest. You weren't out there doing manual labor. Caloric food became more accessible. And that's going to actually contradict news coming up on the deep end. Uh, and as more people were doing sedentary white collar work, of course, it's white collar work because of white people doing white collar work and had access to cars and leisure. Somebody who could resist those caloric foods, exercise and have a thin body was seen as more desirable. Now, what she says here actually is a little bit historically true. Fat in ancient times or overweightness in ancient times was a symbol of wealth, was a symbol of luxury because you didn't actually have to do much work. And, and believe it or not, in ancient times, overweight women were considered attractive and beautiful because they were considered rich and well, uh, well provided for. Today, fatness is seen as poverty. And the reason why it's a poverty issue is because poor people eat poorly. And that goes for all colors of poor people, white, black, brown, everyone in between, okay? Uh, but the writer goes on to unpack America's history through randomly unverifiable assertions as to why America started working out. Then she gets back on the train of, quote, exercise is a luxury that most can't afford, saying gym usage is rebounding rapidly since the pandemic lockdown ordinances. But now it's also really efficient for a lot of people to exercise at home. Again, this is now an equity issue. What's so unfortunate about the pandemic, she, she writes, is how much it accelerated fitness inequality. <laughs> I didn't even know we had that, but I guess we do. Fitness inequality. You can go home and be on your Peloton if you can afford it, if you have the space for it, but not everyone can. Again, if you don't have the money for a Peloton bike, a $2,500 stationary bike, you are now a victim of quote unquote fitness inequality because everything is racist. <laughs> Then she gets to the point. Here's the meat of the order, as they like to say in baseball. She says, I would love for the future of fitness not only to be about Wi-Fi connected treadmills and luxury clubs where people can go hang out and drink green juice after they work out, but rather for a collective public investment in making fitness and recreation available to everybody and much more accessible than it currently is. We do agree as a culture for the most part that exercise is good for you. But our policy environment has not caught up with that. We should acknowledge that, that, that that's one of the few things that we can agree on in our culture and then have a kind of bipartisan shared investment in better, better physical education, better recreation spaces for kids and adults. So there it is, ladies and gentlemen. This is how some people really think. The answer to fitness inequality is to tax and spend people into a more equitable opportunity for people to get fit. Now, just think critically about this article for a moment. Think about the trajectory. How do we go from exercise is mainly rooted in racism to everybody should exercise and let's spend more tax dollars to make sure everybody can do it. <laughs> exercise is racist, so everybody should do it. Is that what we're saying? And fitness inequality just cracks me up. Like, really? There's a fitness inequality? I get it if you're handicapped. Like, heaven forbid, if you can't walk, if you paralyzed, if you've got some serious issues with your ligaments and your bones and your structure, understandably, that is a legitimate fitness inequality, but not poverty. I've been working out since I was 26 years old, and I was dirt poor when I was 26 years old. For the first nine months of my exercise routines, it was literally running up and down the steps of the apartment building where I lived. That's what I would do for exercise, run up and down the steps. I would run around my block three times a week. I did push-ups and pull-ups constantly. 
And then when I could finally afford a gym membership, as you eventually will, even if you're poor and you work hard, I got one for $30 a month, a dollar a day. Today, fitness memberships are like a $10 a month deal. But this is the mantra of the unmotivated and the ill-informed, and I would like to say the cultural elites that live in these glass castles on the coast and like to blame everything on racism. Again, the article was written by this person, Olivia Waxman. She's a staff writer for the time. She's an honors graduate at Columbia Journalism School and Hamilton College. Of course, she's from Columbia because this is what Columbia and all the elite Ivy League institutions are teaching their students now, that being white is a crime, and we're, white people are responsible for all the evils in the world. And if there are fat people, white people are at fault for fat people. Again, this is another example that we are being cajoled into socialism by an elite class of writers who live in one-bedroom apartments on the coast and think that everyone should pay their heat. Why? Because everything is racist. You want, you want examples, by the way, that everything is racist? I got hordes of examples. For instance, did you know? that Avatar 2 is racist and horrible. Did you know that groceries are racist, according to the Guardian newspaper? Did you know that white supremacist ideas have historical roots in U.S. Christianity? Of course Christianity is, is white supremacy. Of course it is. Did you know, according to today's parents, that the way you choose to carry your child might be racist? <laughs> Or schools that cancel Halloween parades because it marginalizes people of color, according to the Independent, the UK paper. And on and on and on it goes. Everything in the world is racist. Secondhand clothing is racist. Teaching kids manners is racist. Um, moths are racist because we call some of them gypsy moths, I guess. Professionalism is racist. Uh, capital letters are now considered racist, according to skynews.com.au. And fireworks are racist, according to National Geographic. Ladies and gentlemen, anything that you want to have fun with is now, a, is now considered racist. This is our cultural conundrum. In fact, there is a new puritanical religious nut job in town, the social justice Pharisees. And they lecture us, and they love to tell us what to do with our bodies except when it comes to killing unborn children. Then you've got the right to do whatever you want. It's amazing how in the olden days, when I was growing up, the religious nut jobs were Christians, were legalistic Christians who wanted to control everything that you did. And to them, everything was sinful. Everything was sinful. Fireworks were sinful. Dice was sinful. Um, uh, having fun was sinful. Dancing was sinful. Women wearing pants was sinful. Uh, in the comments below, let me know if you were raised in a legalistic uh, household. What was considered sinful back then? Isn't it amazing now today that you know the, the new sin, the new original sin is racism, and anything can be considered racist if we just look hard enough. Therefore, everything you do or can have fun with or even enjoy or learn is now racist, including working out. I say this because never before in the history of our country has I se have I seen this. People need to take ownership of their lives. This is, in so, this is so important. You have to be aware of what's going on. You have to be aware of the mantras that are being foisted upon you and your children. And you have to take care of yourself and your body. Because everything is becoming infected with this ideology of progressive secularism. Everything is becoming infected with what some call the woke mind virus. Uh, these are the people, of course, that have the time to talk about how everything is racist because they write an article for Time Magazine like that that probably takes them 60 minutes and they get paid who knows how much money. It's infiltrating society as we speak without our knowledge. 
consider the medical establishment, which I think has been exposed completely during the COVID-19 pandemic. And I, I think you agree with that, but the medical industry has become infected with the woke mind virus. I give you this article from the James G. Martin Center for Academic Renewal. The title of the article is, In Medical Schools, Woke Ideology Trumps True Healthcare. Woke medical education is expanding across the United States, which is cause for great concern. One of the, least, one of the last common experiences people have today is going to the doctor. When one is sick and in need of treatment, typically one would want the most intelligent and skilled doctor available. Agreed. Medical schools, however, are not striving to produce the best doctors possible. They are now striving to produce the most equitable and woke doctors possible. No doubt the consequences of this will be immense and profound. Now, this is important because what is the root of wokeism? One word, victimhood. The, I go, the idea goes like this. Society is to blame for my failures because I'm a good person. In fact, I'm perfect. Pink told me that. I'm fantastic. There's nobody like me. My parents told me that growing up. I'm a snowflake. I'm one in a million. That's what my public education elementary school teacher told me. Therefore, if anything bad comes from me, it's because of my oppression. It's because of the people who rule over me and victimized me. And someone needs to pay for that. So in this article, it talks about Dr. Sally Sattel. She's a practicing psychiatrist and Yale lecturer, and she's touring the nation right now about the modern method of therapy. Uh, it goes on in the article. It says this woke ideology has taken over psychiatric care. She stated any kind of psychotherapy that takes place under such conditions where patients are reflexively branded as oppressed and encouraged to see themselves as feeble victims is doomed to fail, end quote. She made the point that therapy is meant to help individuals identify the inadvertent ways in which they undermine their best interests and how they can adapt if they are unable to change. To be sure, one's health can be affected by social factors, but not exclusively. There are other factors that impact health despite the new social doctrine of the day. She says the choices one makes on a daily basis, for example, have long-term effects on health. Sattel highlighted an often ignored fact. Individuals, no matter their circumstances, still have some agency when it comes to their own health. Unfortunately, the concept of individual agency, agency has slowly withered away, replaced by the far more popular victimhood ideology. In today's victimhood society, it's almost unthinkable to take responsibility for one's actions and the possible negative effects that they may have. And then the article goes on and talks about this guy named John Saylor. He's a research associate at the National Association of, of Scholars. And he notes that UNC, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, has 24 DEI officers. DEI, which is an appropriate acronym for this, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, DEI officers. These are people who get paid about $300,000 to work for the schools that put your kids into debt going to their schools. Um, Says that it has 24 DEI officers. That's Chapel Hill, UNC. In the, in the fields related to healthcare, half of them are there, and a majority of those are in the medical school. So, so, so think about this. The people who are in charge of making sure that schools uh, have diversity, equity, and inclusion, most of those people getting paid $300,000 a year are in the healthcare uh, uh, schools of these universities, and they are going to infect the curriculum to integrate things such as social justice and Black Lives Matter uh, as they educate your te teens, as they educate your young people for a ridiculous amount of money and, and laden them with uh, high, incredible student loan debt. So uh, more damaging evidence, Saylor spoke about the White Coats for Black Lives group and its beliefs. Its members believe in a variety of racial notions, including but not limited to dismantling fat phobia, abolishing prisons, dismantling capitalism, 
And queer trans liberation, that is a literally a word-for-word -word description of the Black Lives Matter charter that was on their website for so many years. What is remarkable is the effectiveness with which this radical group has enacted concrete policy changes, including at the University of Michigan, the University of California Davis, the University of Minnesota, and many others. It goes on and says, in 2020, the Yukon School of Medicine published an article which states, we have to go out there and seek the truth, part of which is accepting that if we are white, we are a big part of the problem. We are part of the reason that structural racism imprisons and oppresses people of color every day, everywhere they go, no matter what they do, end quote. Many schools have now embraced training started at UConn in anti-racism and defeating white supremacy. Yeah, this is the university structure of our day. These are the, by the way, tax-free university structures. Now, now, now check this out. Higher education, all their property, tax-free. They don't pay taxes, but they charge your kids an arm and a leg, putting them in debt, which is subsidized by the U.S. government to make sure that they get indoctrinated into continual and perpetual victimhood status, unless, of course, they are white heterosexuals. Then all bets are off. They are the problem and they need to change. This is the woke mind virus. Your tax dollars are not are paying for it. Your kids are going to be indebted to receive it and it's invading our society and you cannot ignore it. You must resist it. Oh, and then by the way, after they saddle up your kids with all that debt uh, while not paying taxes, then it's going to be your taxes that will forgive or cancel their student debt. Isn't that a wonderful little circular system of scratching each other's backs that our government and the university system has actually created for you? <laughs> but this again is to create a culture of victimhood. See, here's the thing about victimhood, and it's a very important point, uh, that when you play the victim, someone has to play your hero. When you play the victim, and you're wronged, and you're oppressed, and you're pushed around, and somebody's hurt you, and so somebody needs to pay for it, well, guess what? There's always going to be a politician, or a student advisor, or a dean of academics, or some person who will come along and say, I will be your champion, I will be your hero, I will be your Christ. Now, of course, you have the, you have the choice. The regime is going to tell you one thing and one thing only. The regime is going to tell you to ignore me based on the color of my skin, which is exactly the opposite of what Martin Luther King Jr. said when he said, I hope and dream of a day when my children will be judged by the content of the character rather than the color of their skin. But that is no more. Those days are over. Now you are a victim and you must play the victim in order to get ahead in life because somebody is here to be your hero. And there is an elite class of people who pride themselves on being public heroes, <coughs> Fauci, and they do so with zero accountability. I give you uh, Christine Grady, who from her own Wikipedia page is an American nurse and bioethicist who serves as the head of the Department of Bioethics at the National Institutes of Health Clinical Center. And in her personal life underneath the Wikipedia page, it says Grady is married to Anthony Fauci. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, please understand what this means. Christine Grady is the person who is responsible for making sure that everybody who works at the NIH is ethical, is honorable, will be upstanding and will be accountable to the truth. And she is married to Anthony Fauci. She's the wife of Anthony Fauci. That's like, I don't know. If you're a CEO of a country, uh, company, having your wife be the treasurer, uh, or if you're the pastor of a large church, having your wife be your co-pastor or your, I don't know, your uh, lead board of trustees member, <laughs> nothing to see here, folks. Back to your lives, citizens. I'm sure there's no 
the craziness, questionable stuff going on here in the Fauci household. And you say, wow, that's pretty corrupt. I didn't even know that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> because here's the deal. The corruption that you see is just the tip of the iceberg of the corruption that you haven't seen yet. And, you know, this is part of the plan. Like we, they, they don't want you to see the corruption because they are, they, there is an agenda here to make you dependent, to make you a victim, to play the part of your hero, to look to government or some societal structure that is funded by your tax dollars to make sure that your life is fixed. Yeah, you do need fixing and they're here to fix you. And the first step that they need to do uh, to take to make sure that you're fixed is they got to indoctrinate you. They got to make sure that they brainwash you. They've got to make sure that you are injected and pumped full, both physically, emotionally, and mentally with all kinds of ideologies that make you feel like you are belonging to them. Ladies and gentlemen, more than ever before, I urge you, don't follow the herd. One of my favorite Psalms, probably your favorite Psalm too, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Notice that the focus of that, that Psalm is on the shepherd and not the rest of the sheep. I'm glad that he's my shepherd so they don't follow the rest of the sheep. Amen, somebody. Because when you play the victim in a culture, somebody has to play your hero. And one of the ways to create a world of victims, now, this is big, a world of victims. Everybody's a victim of something, right? Now, I want you to think about this. What could we create? What chaos and, and, and catastrophe could we create to make every human being on the planet a victim? Well, that is climate change, of course. Climate change makes you and everybody between you and me a victim. Climate, alar climate alarmism makes the entire population of the world beholden to the controlling interest of governments and a media conglomerate that, that plays the accomplice in tax farming to save the planet. Now, on Sunday night, in the first 60 minutes of the year, CBS actually highlighted and interviewed the most notorious and wrongest man in history, Dr. Paul Elrich, Stanford biologist, and the man who is largely responsible for the climate alarmism of our day. First off, he's aging and he's not looking so good. That's what climate alarm, that's what worrying about the weather does to you. <laughs> worrying about the weather for 80 years of life does not make you age well. Again, platformed by 60 Minutes this past Sunday, proving again that journalism is, in fact, dead. Uh, watch what he said here when they interviewed him on how desperate our times are regarding climate. You seem to be saying that humanity is not sustainable. No, humanity is not sustainable. To maintain uh, our lifestyle, yours and mine, basically, for the entire planet, you'd need five more Earths. Not clear where they're going to come from. Just in terms of the resources that would be required resources that would be required, um, the systems that support our lives, which of course are the biodiversity uh, that we're wiping out. Uh, humanity is very busily sitting on a limb that we're sawing off. Mm. Yep. Wow. Talk about a boost of positivity. Paul Elrich is at it again. Now, this is this is a guy who has been wrong, like I said, for 70 plus years. I have highlighted him on this channel. I just want to remind you again that in 1970, he said the oceans will be as dead as Lake Erie in less than a decade. Uh, America will be subject to water rationing by 1974 and food rationing by 1980. He said that in 1970. Didn't come true. He said in 1970 that by the year 2000, the United Kingdom will be simply a small group of impoverished islands inhabited by some 70 million hungry people. 
1968, he said the battle to feed all of humanity is over. In the 1970s, hundreds of millions of people will starve to death in spite of any crash program embarked upon now. In 2014, more recently, he said we will soon be asking, is it perfectly okay to eat the bodies of your dead because we're all so hungry? <laughs> this guy has been telling us that we are destroying our ability to eat for 70 years and we're all going to be, I don't know, swimming on a raft like the end of the Titanic uh, for all eternity. Uh, <laughs> and he has been wrong every single time. I give you this chart from Our World and Data, the daily supply of calories from 1961 to 2013, and every single continent has more food available today than it did 70 years ago, aka the obesity and epidemic of the modern West. But climate alarmism is nothing new. Climate alarmism is a direct result on the first commandment in scripture, which came from a God who truly loves humanity instead of Paul Elrich, who hates humanity. What did God first say to Adam and Eve? The first commandment was not a thou shalt not. The first commandment was a thou shalt. And that sh thou shalt was what? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue. In other words, have babies and lots of them. And the climate alarmism cult is just evidence of once more sin and God's accurate assessment regarding man's heart and scripture. See, whatever God says, the human heart rebels against. If God says... I want you to put the murderer to death and protect the innocent. We do the exact opposite. We kill the innocent unborn and we work to protect mass murderers from the death penalty. If God says the family first and the state second, we elevate the state and diminish the family or redefine the family. If God says pride comes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction, we say, no, we celebrate pride and we castigate humility. See, humanity has a problem. It's a rebellion problem. If God says go left, we say go right or you're racist. If God says, have babies, we say, stop having children or you're evil. If God were to have said, no more offspring, I want you to limit the number of children you have. I tell you right now that Paul Ehrlich would be so pro having children, it wouldn't be funny. And by the way, all these climate alarmisms are truly out of, alarmists are truly out of touch. And no greater evidence of this can be found than this article from Fox News. <laughs> this is funny. Just listen to the headline. Climate extremists think your kids are a, quote, high cost luxury, end quote, and bad for Mother Earth. Only people without kids would call kids a high-cost luxury. <laughs> kids are exhausting. Kids are life-sucking ventures. And they may or may not end well for you. I mean, <laughs> uh, this is, again, you don't want to listen to the culture around you, the victimization. Even if you have children, you're a victim. Even if you're children, if you have children, you're a victim of a high-cost luxury. Shame on you. Stop having children. Get vasectomies in the name of equity. By the way, I read, and this not, I don't have any articles to share with you on this uh, on, on the screen, but I did read that there is a bunch of liberal men who are getting vasectomies to oppose the Roe v. Wade overturning of the Supreme Court. And I want to just say, finally, a liberal position that I can get on board with. Absolutely. Get yourselves fixed, liberal dudes. We need less of you in the culture. Okay? And if you're, <laughs> if you're a Christ-loving, Jesus-worshipping uh, conservative theologian like me, have babies and lots of them. Outbreed the pagans, I like to say. Anyway, climate alarmism is definitely working. Uh, a CNBC report f shows that nearly half of young people worldwide, worldwide say that climate change anxiety is affecting their daily life. 
The article says that 45% of young people surveyed across 10 countries said anxiety and distress over the climate crisis was affecting their daily life and ability to function. 64% of young people said that governments were not doing enough to avoid a climate crisis. This article from NBC.com, Climate Grief, the, the Growing Emotional Toll of Climate Change, it says this, listen to the story. When the UN released its latest climate report in October, it warned that without unprecedented action, that means taxation, by the way, catastrophic conditions could arrive by 2040. Again, they always just move the goalposts back another decade. For Amy Jordan, 40, of Salt Lake City, a mother of three teenage children, the report caused a crisis. She says, the emotional reaction of my kids was severe. There was a lot of crying, they told me. We know what's coming, and it's going to be really rough. Okay, Amy Jordan, if you're listening to the UN and telling your kids to listen to the UN, you're just being a dummy. <laughs> Do you know anything about the UN? Like, again, this is, this is what it says. She struggled, too, because there wasn't much she could do for them. I, I want to have hope, but the reports are showing that this isn't going to stop. So all we can do is cope. Victimization, victimization, victimization. Again, if you as a grown adult are teaching your children to listen to what the UN says, shame on you. The UN is an organization filled with terrorist-supporting countries, countries that deprive women and minorities and especially homosexuals of basic civil rights, countries that do not give one rip about the climate change crisis. These are countries that we actually send our recycled materials to so they can burn them on their property so that we have to burn them here. That's a fact. Look it up. Victimization is on the rise. And please understand, Christian, who is on the side of the climate alarmism cult? I give you none other than the Church of Satan. <laughs> the Church of Satan, the Satanic Temple presents SatanCon, a conference in Boston, April 28th to 30th, 2023, uh, the 10th year anniversary of SatanCon, which I didn't even know was a thing until this past week. So they're going to have a conference to discuss the many values, the, <laughs> the many doctrines of the Church of Satan. And did you know that if you go to the Church of Satan conference in Boston, you are going to be required to wear, of course, a KN95 or, K or N95 mask or disposable surgical mask. You have to have proof of a COVID vaccination. You cannot wear gaiters, bandanas, or cloth masks. Well, those uh, Church of Satan people, they really have a lot of courage, don't they? <laughs> Still worried about having KN95 masks on their mouth. Oh, by the way, did you know that they also offer a uh, scholarship program for today's youngest and brightest scholars? And they have to submit uh, essays of the values of the Satanic Temple that they have subscribed to. Here's one of the winners from 2020. See if you can pick up on the agenda. Uh, this is somebody named Aubin in New York. And the piece that he wrote uh, that is consistent with the tenets and mission of the Church of Satan says... This piece is inspired by the Satanic Temple's first fundamental tenet. I hold a firm belief that all animal life is sacred and should be treated with respect. In my life, I have spent much time foraging for animal remains that may have been killed at the hands of humans. Roadkill, hunting, trapping. I bring these animals home with me. <laughs> and, give them, and give them a place in my home for them to be honored and respected in ways that they unfortunately didn't get to experience in their time on Earth. I see that these animals play a very important role in Earth's ecosystem, but have fallen victim to the cruelty and blindness of man. I hope that the spirits of the animals that I live with are able to find peace in knowing that their lives will not be forgotten. Way to go, Mom and Dad. <laughs> 
you must be very proud. <laughs> this, is, this is what people become when they reject the worship of God. In their thinking, they became fools. And here's the good news, Christian parent, the good news, Christian teen, the good news, dear Christian, is that you do not have anything to fear because if this is the kind of person who worships at the Church of Satan out there with a shovel on I-93, shoveling up some dead squirrel and bringing it home to his living room, <laughs> you, you really don't have anything to stress out about. <laughs> uh, there is one group, however, that will never be considered a victim class. And it's probably good for them. That's the Christian group. I give you an, an article out of Boston. The Boston Globe reporting a transgender worker was denied health care for, uh, and, and now files for a discrimination complaint. This is Lillian Bernier, 31, who has worked as a machinist since 2019 at TurboCam, a Barrington, New Hampshire company that makes parts for the HVAC, automotive aviation, and space exploration industries. She claims the company's refusal to provide gender transition health care coverage amounts to discrimination against her based on her sex, transgender status, gender identity, and disability. I won't bore you with the whole article. You can probably predict how that's going to end. It's a case in point, though, that is we are becoming a country, a culture that has more and more blatant disregard for the beliefs and consciences of Christians evermore. Consider what happened in the, in the UK just a few weeks ago. I always hate when I miss a deep end for a few weeks, but did you know or did you hear about a woman being arrested in the United Kingdom for praying in her mind outside of an abortion clinic? This is Isabel von Spruce. She is the director of the UK March for Life, and she was standing near the BPAS Robert Clinic in Kingston, Kings Norton, Birmingham, in an area Alliance Defending Freedom UK called a censorship, censorship zone, when police approached her after an onlooker complained she might be praying outside the abortion facility. Birmingham's authorities established a buffer zone around abortion clinics, which makes it illegal for an individual to engage in their, uh, any act or attempt any act of approval or disapproval as it relates to abortion and includes, quote, verbal or written means like prayer or counseling. Now, again, the statute says verbal or written means, but she was praying in her mind, lips not moving, just standing quietly outside. And the police came and arrested her. Yeah, this is the UK, the United Kingdom, Britain, that spread Christianity and Christian thought around the world, literally that brought human rights and common law all around the world, that elevated the rights of the poor, the oppressed, the, the women, the children. Yeah, that great empire has indeed fallen. And now it is exporting around the world an anti-Christian pro-state propaganda. I give you news out of Australia. This is the chief of police in Queensland, Australia, in 2022, saying that if you hear anything from your neighbor that is anti-government, you probably should report them. Watch. And, and we welcome that information. As, as I said before, if, if it's anybody out there that knows of someone that might be showing concerning behaviour around, you know, conspiracy theories, anti-government, anti-police, um, conspiracy theories around COVID-19 vaccination, as what we're seeing with the train family, we'd want to know about. We want to know about that. Uh, and you can either contact police directly or, or go through Crime Stoppers. Yeah. Okay. So that is the Queensland chief of police saying, if you hear your neighbor saying something anti-government, report it because we would want to hear that. See, ladies and gentlemen, here's the deal. Christians will never be considered victims by this world. We never will be. 
And guess what? That's perfect. That's exactly what we want because we aren't victims. Romans chapter 8, verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. If there's one thing that I know about my Bible, it is simply this. God takes great delight in empowering the powerless. And this is why Christians can't be the victim. We can't cry that we're being hurt or persecuted. We can't act like somebody needs to pay for our injustices. We're strong in him. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. You know, you gotta look at your Bible and read the stories for, for that reason alone. David was minimized in the eyes of everybody around him. Did he cry victimhood? No, he said, I know that God is with me and I will take down this Goliath, this, this Philistine. God will give me the victory. Do you see Mary Magdalene running around and blaming all her rapists for her problems? No, she turned to Christ and she was delivered by, by Christ from seven demons. Do you see Peter blaming his, his parents for bringing him up in Galilee and making him an uneducated man? No, you see him filled with the Holy Spirit and preaching on the day of Pentecost on Acts chapter 2 and bringing the gospel to the nations. Do you see Ruth crying over the fact that her husband and her father-in-law died and left her impoverished? No. She unites to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and stays loyal and faithful. And God blesses her life and makes her the great-grandmother of one King David. You see, ladies and gentlemen, you are a Christian. If you are watching this, you're probably a Christian. And if you are a Christian, you are not a victim. You are more than a conqueror. And you need to read your Bible more than you read the news and what's going on in the world. You need to get a hold of these stories because they remind you that you are far stronger in Christ than you can possibly imagine. All, all this happening in our world reminds me of a guy named Gideon in Judges chapter 6. You know who Gideon was? He was a small little kid in a small little family, in a small little clan, in the smallest little tribe of Israel. And God showed up in an angel, in the form of an angel and said he was going to deliver uh, Israel from Midian through Gideon. And he's scared the whole time. Read it in Judges chapter 6. He's scared the whole time. He's the one who actually comes up with the plan to have the fleece laid out overnight. And if the fleece is dry and the ground is wet, uh, then it's a sign that God has spoken to him. And then the next day he's like, well, if the fleece is wet, the ground is dry, then God has spoken to him. God does both things for him. And God keeps showing him, I'm going to make it work for you. I'm going to make this happen for you. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. God keeps proving himself to defeat the fear in Gideon's own mind. And then God narrows down his army from 23 or 32,000 down to 300. And he's out of 300 men. And God tells Gideon, listen, if you're still scared, I want you to go down to the Midian camp and listen in. And he does. And what does he hear in the Midian camp, Midianite camp? When he goes down and he listens to what they're talking about, he shows up right when they were having a conversation, two men, and they were talking about a dream. And he says, I dreamed a dream of a whole cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned upside down so that the tent lay flat. This is in Judges chapter seven. And verse 14 says, and his comrade answered, this is none other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. And so Gideon hears this uh, dream from the enemies that he is supposed to defeat. And verse 15 says, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped and he returned to the camp of Israel and said, arise for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. He got courageous. He got courageous because he learned that the enemy that he was fighting really was powerless. And so it is true for you as well. In 2023, take responsibility for yourself because nobody else will. And the good news is, that God will empower you. That's what repentance really is. Do you know that? Repentance is when we say, I am responsible for the problems in my life. I'm the biggest sinner that I know. 
I'm the biggest problem in my life. This heart, this issue right here is my biggest issue. Not what society says, not what culture says, what my heart does to me. And I need to repent and turn this heart over to God so that he can put in a new heart and help me to receive his word so that I can be established in his truth. Anyway, a shorter version of the deep end, probably a good thing to start the year off. Anyway, I'm so glad that you were here. Remember, guys, that my new book is coming out soon, Ending Emptiness. Let's take care of that soul-sucking feeling inside of us that the world cannot fill us and turn to the truth of God that is for us. I can't wait to get that into your hands. Uh, also support the channel if it helps you through the Cash app or timhatchlive.com slash support. And you know about those of you who support the channel. Tomorrow night, the deep dive is back. Bible study, Second King, or First Kings, I think we're in chapter 12. So I'm looking forward to that. YouTube.com slash Tim Hatch Live. Again, if you haven't already, make sure that you're hitting that subscribe button, the like button, and the notification bell to get notified every time we go live here on the channel. Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure to be with you. It is my prayer that 2023 is a blessing to you and to your family, to your children, to your singleness, to your growing up. And oh, one last thing. I... I was told to tell you this, and I got to tell you this. <laughs> 10 Questions with Tim is also happening this Thursday. Uh, so great opportunity. A lot of people were not sending in questions, I'm sure, because of the holidays and the business of the season. So if you want to get a question answered, now is the time to do so. Submit it to ask at timhatchlive.com or in the comments below, and we will get to them this Thursday uh, at lunchtime, 12 noon. Guys, God bless you. Have a great night. See you tomorrow night for The Deep Dive.